Uh, before we do anything, um, I'd like to, on behalf of my wife and I, um, thank the wonderful folks here at Calvary for the way you have uh, supported us uh, in ministry in so many ways and so many people. Um, for those of you who don't know, I represent a ministry out of Chattanooga, Tennessee called Precept Ministries International, which exists simply to teach people how to study God's Word for themselves. And um, we've had the pleasure of uh, seeing folks throughout the Caribbean ignite as a result of learning how to study God's Word for themselves. And so for those of you who are uh, supporters of this church and um, supporters of our ministry, God bless you and and, and thank you. Uh, secondly, um, uh, I think I think we should pray. If you hear rattling, <laughs> you know <laughs> you know what it is. Let's let's bow our heads in in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for bringing us together once again for a time such as this where we can fellowship in your word where you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, can encourage us through your word. Father, there's nothing special that we've done but simply presented ourselves to be taught by you. And so, dear God, we ask that you would tenderize our hearts, make our hearts soft towards what it is you would have us to leave here today with. May our hearts burn like the men on the road to Emmaus as they walked with Jesus. And may our desire, may our resolve be when we leave here today just simply to get to know you better. Father, we think about brothers and sisters around the world who for, for fear of persecution cannot meet in an environment such as we are this morning. May we not take this time that you've given us for granted, dear God, but may we embrace it and have the audacity to go out and live it. For your honor and your great glory, we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this morning, uh, we hope to encourage our hearts from a small letter in the New Testament of, of Philippians. But before we get into a particular uh, the, the chapter 3 that we're heading towards in Philippians, I think it's important to at least um, put you in context. Pastor Lee did an excellent job last Sunday in setting me up. I wish he hadn't done that. I would have had a good excuse not to show up today. But he laid out for us um, what I feel is one of the most incredible doctrinal passages in the Bible. In Philippians chapter 2, uh, looking at the deity of Christ. Uh, we live in a time, in a day where we are being inundated with junk in the religious community. For example, on I think it was December 11th, there was a group of people uh, calling themselves Raelians um, who had a meeting here. Uh, in Nassau, now you got to understand these people are, uh, they teach that God's going to come back on some comet and, and take us all wherever. Um, during the Christmas, you'd have seen a, a, a thrust by uh, the folks who come knocking on your doors on Saturdays, uh, trying to... Um, undo, trying to change our minds as far as who Christ is and what Christmas is all about. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you this morning or this afternoon that we are going to face more and more pressures uh, from such persons as those as far as why we believe what we believe. We're going to be um, challenged on who we believe in. It's interesting to note over the last uh, couple of years, especially as far as the media is concerned, 
uh, the folks like CNN and NBCs and those folks, they don't have a problem mentioning God. Trouble starts when they start throwing Jesus' name around. People get edgy for some reason. Who is this Christ? And I, again, I can't help but thank God for Pastor Lee and what he's been doing here at Calvary. You should thank God for um, the man that he has blessed you with, who has the willingness and the desire to teach. As a matter of fact, when we were returning from Chattanooga to the Bahamas, I was asked, Patrick, is there anyone who you know who loves God's word and who handles God's word the way you've been taught? And uh, we could have only think at the time of one person. We hadn't met him yet. We had heard a lot about him. And that person was Pastor Lee. And they said to us, well, make sure when you get to the Bahamas, you get close to him. I'm kind of having regrets. <laughs> but to God be the glory. Paul and Barnabas set out to go and revisit the churches that they had visited on their first missionary journey. The small problem, they had an argument over who was going to go with who. As a matter of fact, Scripture says that the argument was so great that they split, they parted company. Paul says, I don't want John Mark to go with me. Barnabas says, well, I want him to go with me. Paul says, I don't want him to go with me. John Barnabas says, I want him to go with me. And they split. Barnabas went one direction with uh, John Mark and Paul said, Silas, you go with me. And they set out to encourage the churches. Now, we don't have the behind the scenes footage of Paul and Barnabas reconciling and that sort of thing. But Barnabas being the, the, the encourager that he was, we can guess that those two brothers made up. Paul and Silas start out on this journey to make a long story short, uh, Paul has made several attempts to get into Asia and God has said, nah, he's closed the door. He has this dream, this vision of a man saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And feeling convinced in his heart that this was of God, he sets out for Macedonia and he comes across a little city, a little Roman colony called Philippi. And of course, as Paul's tradition was, he would seek out the worshipers of God. In this particular case, there wasn't enough worshipers of God to form a synagogue. And so he meets a couple of people down by the river and they're praying. He shares the gospel with them and guess what happens? They get saved. Kind of like, that's kind of Paul's MO, isn't it? Paul preaches the word. Either they get agitated or they get saved. Paul's going out throughout Philippi, and um, there is this woman who is going before him, saying, Behold, these men are servants of the Most High God. Small problem. This woman was demon-possessed. That's strange. A demon-possessed woman saying, Behold, these men are servants of the Most High God. Well, according to Scripture, Paul was really agitated by this woman's proclamation. And he rebukes the woman, rebukes the demon out of this woman. And the men who were making a profit from this woman now are out of business. The men get upset. They grab Paul and Sidus. They beat them. Take him before the magistrates. The magistrates charge him. They send him to jail. They take him to the jailkeeper and they say, Hey, Mr. Jailkeeper, we ain't finished with these guys. Save them till morning for us. The jailer doesn't just lock him in jail. In Bahamian vernacular, they lock him under the jail. Paul and Silas, bruised, battered, bloody, in a damp, cold, dark jail. And guess what they do? They write for their MP. 
No, they start singing. Can you imagine what that singing might have sounded like that night in the jail? Wow. Wow. Something happens. You think Elvis Presley wrote Jailhouse Rock? <laughs> the bars fly open. Chains fall off. Now, I could, I'm convinced there wasn't no behemoths in that jail because as soon as that door was open, what was going to happen? The jailer's about to kill himself, and Paul says, no, don't do that. Everyone's here. <laughs> We're all here. That was Paul's introduction to the wonderful folks in Philippi. They knew of his suffering. This man had shared the gospel with them. They were endeared to his heart. Several years later, Paul is on his way to Rome. He's in Rome. He's under house arrest. Epaphroditus has brought some funds to him to help him in his plight. Here he is under house arrest. Can't come and go as he please. And he decides to put pen to paper to thank the church in Philippi for their generous gift. In the process, he shares his heart. Pastor Lee said last week, some people say, some theologians believe this is a, a book or a letter of rejoicing. And surely it is. And he shares it over and over again. He says, I rejoice, I rejoice. In chapter 1, for example, he says in verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, my chains, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that in my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian God. And to everyone else. We had fun with this in our Sunday school upstairs. Can you imagine uh, <laughs> Paul being tied, handcuffed to one, possibly two palace guards? What do, you think the what do you think the conversation must have been like every morning? As a matter of fact, here's a scarier thought. Can you imagine roll call down in the Praetorian barracks? The commanding officer today is giving out orders for the day, and he says, uh, I don't know, Festus, you get the front gate, yeah, chief. Bustus, you get the back gate, all right, chief. Uh, I don't know, Bruticus, I don't know, call a name. You get the, to uh, the, 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 the east tower. Patrick, all right, chief, you get Paul. Oh, no, chief. Not Paul. Come on, chief. I got employee of the week last week, not Paul. Young man, yes, chief, you're a Roman soldier. Aye, chief. You scared of Paul? No, chief. Then shut him up. Aye, chief, but I tried. I knocked out two of his teeth. He's still sharing the gospel with me. Paul says in verse 12, he says, <laughs> he says, in verse 13, in verse 12 and 13, he says, My imprisonment has worked out for the greater cause of the gospel. Listen, the whole Praetorian guard's getting saved. Morning, Fest. Hey, how you doing? Uh, I'm well. How's your family? Good, good, good. Still working on your wife? Yeah, she's, she's this close to salvation. I'm reminded of a passage in Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus tells his disciples, he says, Behold, I send you out as sheep. Guess where I'm sending you? In the middle of the wolves. Guess what? The wolves need Jesus too. And here is Paul, not concerned about his release. Well, he was concerned about his release. But while he was waiting on it, he was sharing the gospel. In chapter 2, sorry, further on in chapter 1, um, he says, here's my heart. He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I won't be put to shame in anything. But that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether I live or whether I die. And he's telling the church in Philippi, he says, guess what? Because for to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. He encourages the church in verse 27. He says, only conduct yourselves. 
How? In a manner worthy of the gospel. All through it. Here's a man who can't come and go as he pleases. And his heart's concern is share the gospel. Walk in a manner worthy of God. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Somehow the church in Philippi must have heard that Paul may have been hurting. Someone may have thought maybe, well, he's locked up. Doesn't look good. You know how news travels. Kind of the same today. Hey, boy, he looked bad. He mashed right up. And here Paul's heart in chapter 2. He tells the church, listen. We have an incredible example in Christ. Christ who, who emptied himself. Taking on flesh. Just to do what? In obedience to the cross, die for you and I. He says in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. My children hate verse 14. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. And we get to chapter 3. In chapter 1, he says, he says Christ is... My life. In chapter 2 he says Christ is my example. In chapter 3 we get to it where he says Christ now is my goal. Listen to what he says in verse 1 of chapter 3. Finally then brethren. Paul's the only one known in history who says finally and then talks for another hour or so. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things again is no trouble to me and is a safeguard for you. He says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. There was some bad people running around in the church spreading bad doctrine. He says, beware. Tells them three times. Now today, when we call someone dog, that's a term of, of endearment. In fact, yeah, that's my dog. But back when this was written, to be called a dog was not cool. Those were fighting words. He says, beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. He says, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone has, else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. And Paul gets to share with the church of Philippi his credentials, or some of his credentials. He says in verse 4, 5, sorry, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. How might we say that today? Verse 5 and 6. I might say, uh, I, Patrick, was uh, born in Nassau, Bahamas, of the greatest community of Fox Hill. That, I go on record to say that, by the way. Just a little side note, do you know that we in Fox Hill invented the dilly? <laughs> any, any Fox Hillians would agree with me? Ah, there you go. Of the nation of Israel, a Bahamian of Bahamians, of the tribe of, um, where is he from? Of the tribe of Benjamin. He's laying out all these important stuff. Do you know who I am? As to the law of Pharisee, probably one Pharisee of the year back to back, Paul says. 
As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And he's using these terms in a very positive sense. Because of what he's going to say in the next three or four verses. He says, in verse 7, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I grew up in a little church in Fox Hill called Macedonia Baptist Church. Ain't too big. If you're driving Bernard Road and you blink, you might miss it. We call it the big church with the little church in front of us. This huge kind of mausoleum tone type thing where our founding pastor is. I was told, I was reliably informed that I was the first baby christened in that church. Understand that my grandfather, who was an incredibly gifted tenor, uh, was the choir director at that church. Conversely, my grandmother had one of the prettiest altos you could ever hear. Oh, she could sing. She would sing even in a humming. She just. My uncle now is a senior pastor at that church. My aunt plays the organ. Same church. And the list goes on. Fill in the blank. Fill in your blank. What are some of the credentials that you hold on to that make you, you? I was born in Baintown. I was born in the Abacos. I was raised in the Exumas. I was the first child to graduate with honors from high school in my family. I was the first person to come back home with a degree from college. Fill in, fill in the blank. Fill in your blank. Think about the things that you hold on to dearly. I was the first person in my family to play the piano. Um, that's not me. <laughs> but, but again, I'm trying to help you to think, to reason through what we're trying to get. Because the whole idea of knowing Christ, we're going to find in a couple of minutes that something's going to have to give. As a matter of fact, verse 7, Paul says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss, for the sake of Christ. How many of you would view your college degree as rubbish? Nobody. I worked too hard for that. You don't know the nights I stayed up studying. I have an idea. Let's read on. That's what he says in verse 7. Hey, look at what he says in verse 8. More than that, just in case you didn't get in verse 7, he says to the church in Philippi, because this has nothing to do with us. He says to the church in Philippi in verse 8, he says, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom... I have suffered the loss of all things. Full stop. <laughs> it goes on. And count them but rubbish so that I might gain Christ. 
Paul says, I take all my credentials, all of who I am, the stuff I'm really crazy about bragging about, and I put a big duck egg next to it because there's one thing my heart is desirous of doing, and that is to know Christ. But wait a minute, Paul, you're locked up. But wait a minute, Paul, you can't come and go as you please. But wait a minute, Paul, we're sending you contributions. Don't you want to get out? Yeah, I do. But my heart's desire is to know Christ. Look at what he says in verse 9, because he goes on. He says, I count them but rubbish at the end of verse 8, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, one that's derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death. Paul had realized that there is great value. He says, according to the text, surpassing value in knowing Christ. Mona Lisa doesn't like when I do this. So I'm begging your forgiveness now, sweetie. That's kind of like knowing you're going to sin and asking God to forgive you before. Hey, that's bad theology. But I'm sorry. <laughs> Mona Lisa and I dated six years. Um, God gave me a voice in 12th grade. I was so shy of girls. I was terrified of girls. Not, and I was no freak. Okay? <laughs> well, let's get that straight. It was toward the end of my 12th grade year. When we realized that um, this friendship was a little bit more than just a friendship. Summer was coming and I had plans on going off to college and she too had plans on going off to college. Talked to my mom she said, well Patrick, you got to get to know her to make sure that she's the one that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. You know, at 18, coming out of high school, you kind of know it all. She's the one. Mom said, get to know her. Best advice my mom ever gave me. Well, one of the best pieces of advice. Got to know her some that summer, but August came really quick. And I was, next thing I know, I was on a plane to the U.S. We didn't have internet. We didn't have Skype and instant messenger and all that stuff. As a matter of fact... Around that time, there was still C-Prompt and DOS and all that craziness. I still couldn't figure out. The only thing we had was the U.S. mail and (laughs) AT&T. It was so scary. One night, I dialed the operator. (laughs) She's like, good night, Patrick. I'll patch you through. (laughs) I kind of knew you by name, you know. But Mona Lisa and I desired that we would write each other. I mean, and we would write. You know, what Mo- you know what Mona Lisa would do? She would write. We ain't talking regular folder leaf paper. We're talking legal notepad. <laughs> Front and back. No kidding. Ten pages. <laughs> Ladies, take note. <laughs> she would spray. She would spray some of her perfume, you know, the one I really liked, on the note. And then to add insult to injury, she would put lipstick prints. Um, Now, Mona Lisa has a booth at the back of the church after service. If you all need extra hints and tips, she's collecting, okay? I would always know in college when mail came. I'd look at the, the face of the post guy. He'd have the biggest grin, Patrick. <laughs> He'd say, Patrick, you're always stinking up my office. And I'd take that letter out like it was plutonium. I'd put it in my backpack. No, you couldn't open it because everyone was looking over your shoulder. What'd she say? What'd she say? No, no, no. 
So I put it in my backpack, go through an excruciating day of knowing that there is something in my backpack that belongs to me. I would go to work two, three hours, get home in the evening, shower, forget homework. Put on my pajamas. I shouldn't have said that part. I dim the lights. And when I finally open it, it'll say something like, My dearest Patrick. I should have known then my days were numbered, hey? And she would begin to describe her day, her week. There would be times in that letter I would cry. Some of the fellows at the back like, Patrick, don't talk about crying. There would be times I'd, I'd be laughing with her. Peter, my brother, would come and say, boy, what are you dealing with? There would be highs and lows, emotional swings all over the place. As, I, as if I were sitting right on the edge of a bed in our apartment, talking to her face to face. You know, we did that for six years. Now, I know some of you doing the math. Wait a minute. Four-year degree, six years. He only got a bachelor's. This one is a big dummy. No. 90% of our relationship was spent away from each other prior to marriage, but we got to know each other. Let me ask you something. How many of you have gotten a love note and you just read it once? What did you do with that letter when you got it? Come on, talk. It's okay to talk in church. You read it a couple of times, didn't you? You read it frontwards, backwards, upside down, tried to see it through from the back. You'd put it away so nobody could get to it. Sneak it out with a flashlight in the middle of the night and read it some more, right? Can I ask you something? What would happen if we approached God's word that way? Seriously, what would happen if I were to seek to know him that way? Because that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I want to know him. I want to know him intimately. I want to know him experientially. I want to know everything there is about this God, this Christ, whom I'm serving. And he's saying in a roundabout way behind the letters in this letter to the church of Philippi, he's saying, and guess where I can learn him most? Right here in my suffering. You know, sometimes, sometimes we get so busy in the middle of our suffering, we're rebuking and pulling down strongholds and anointing this thing and the next. We forget to see God's handprint in the trial, in the suffering. And instead of embracing this opportunity to bring glory to him, we why would Paul say, I want to know him? Here he is waiting for an audience to see Caesar himself. And he's saying to the church, I want to know him. Go with me. If you have your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. I don't mean to preach. I just wanted to encourage our hearts as we go into the new year. Because I really believe things are going to get progressively work, worse Sorry for the church, for us believers. We got stuff coming at us from every which way. Laws are being written right now that goes totally against everything that you and I believe in. And it's going to get worse. Look at Jeremiah. It's, it's such a sweet sound to hear those pages turning. Look at Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. I'm telling you to turn there. I haven't turned there yet. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Listen to what uh, the prophet says. He says, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man... Boast of his wisdom. Boast there simply means to brag, to boast, to, to big up. 
It says, let not a wise man boast or brag about his wisdom. And let not a mighty man boast of his might. And let not a rich man boast of his riches. There's that term of contrast. But let him who boasts, let him who brags, brag of this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness and justice and righteousness on the earth. Listen to what God says. For I delight in these things. You want to know what brings pleasure to God? The fact that you and I are willing and wanting and desirous of getting to know Him. Puts a big smile on His face. Just a little footnote to the Mona Lisa incident with her writing. I got into the habit of writing as well. And I would write and I would share my heart with her. And she was experiencing the same thing down in Miami, Florida that I was experiencing up in North Carolina. We got to know each other. So much so that at my graduation, I wish I could have shout out across that graduation stage, Mona Lisa, would you marry me? I was convinced in my heart that she was the one. Jeremiah 9 says, don't brag about how strong you are. Don't brag about how smart you are. Don't brag about how rich you are. You want to brag? Brag that you understand and know the Lord. How much of God do you know? How much of Him do we know that would cause us to be able to stand toe-to-toe with some of these heretics who come knocking on our doors on a regular basis and be able to say, "Uh uh-uh. That's not what my God says. Turn with me to another passage. Ephesians, sorry, John chapter 17, verse 3. This is the Lord's Prayer. Not the Lord's Prayer that we know, our Father, which which art in heaven. We call that the model prayer. But this is Jesus' prayer just before he's about to face the cross. In verse 1, John 17, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may magnify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Look at verse 3. And what is eternal life? He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you. There's that experiential knowing again. That experience of walking with Him. Being with Him. Hanging out with Him. How much time have you spent with God? Right here in His Word. I don't mean to step on toes, but how much do we truly Know Him. You ever been in a situation where you heard someone talking about somebody and it didn't add up? Because in your heart you knew that person. You knew them, you really knew them, you lived with them, you hung out with them, you ate with them, you said, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, they ain't talking about that person. How much time have we spent with God Almighty in His Word to be able to get to the place where we say, "Uh -uh, that's not what God says. I know Him. Look, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13. Um, You don't have to turn there. Just listen as we try to bring this to a close. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13. Sorry, go to verse 11. And He gave some as apostles. And some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. This is Paul teaching the church what spiritual gifts were for, or are for. For the equipping of the saints, in verse 12, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and what? 
The knowledge of the Son of God. And Paul says when all that happens, you got a mature man. One who measures up to the stature of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? You want to look like Christ? Guess where? God's Word. Philippians chapter 3. Paul says in verse 10, he says, That I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death. As a matter of fact, in Philippians chapter 1, I think it's verse 27, Paul says, he says, um, sorry, verse 29, he says, For to you, it has been granted, it has been given, it has been gifted to you, not only to believe, but also to suffer. The same way we see salvation as a gift, we should view our sufferings as a gift. And in that suffering, according to chapter 3, Paul says, that's where I get to know Him. How many of us have made some promises to God in the middle of a, a tragedy, a trial, a persecution or whatever? I had some back issues earlier this year. <laughs> oh God, if you get me out of this, I promise I'll. Oh God, if you bring her back to me, I promise I'll. Oh God, if you give me this promotion, I promise I'll. What if we prayed this way? Oh God, as I am going through this trial, as I am experiencing this gift you've given me, show me you. As these people are talking about me, as they're hurting me and bringing down my family name, bringing down my good name, as they do whatever, God, thank you for this gift of giving me an opportunity to see you, to experience you as you truly are. I know that back pain caused me to view suffering in a different way because prior to that, you know, Christians ain't supposed to suffer. Use the head, not the tail. All that jargon. So, so how do we do this? How do we get to know the God of this Bible? How do we get to experience Him more? Well, first of all, I think we should make ourselves available. Uh, Romans chapter 12. Um, um, Paul says to the church in Romans... I'm sorry, I'm just too excited. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present. That's a one-time event. It's not something you do every day. He says, just once and for all time, just make yourself available to me. In verse 2, lost the passage again. He says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice uh, Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Listen to verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed. How? Where do I get my mind renewed? No, come on. I can listen to TBN and INSP and get the same buzz. Good night. <laughs> I was going to bring a sandwich here this morning. But the last time I did it, I got into trouble. Fellas were waiting on me at the door with a sandwich. But imagine with me if you would, I had a triple decker sandwich. It's lunchtime now, so this will be a really good illustration. <laughs> From Wendy's. It's got lettuce and tomatoes. I mean, the lettuce just the way you want them. Tomatoes ain't too ripe, they ain't too hot. They got the perfect amount of mayonnaise on it. I got some sisters and brothers in here just shaking their head. We're in the spirit right now. <laughs> they got the cheese just right. And it's melted just perfectly on that face patty. You go down to the next level and it's the same thing. Glory, hallelujah. And everything's just fitted just right. Because you know sometimes these restaurants, they just slam the sandwich and send it out, right? This was the perfect one. And what if I was standing here 
this afternoon and I bit into that sandwich and I said, oh, 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 this tastes so good. I'm not going to ask what would happen. There'd probably be a mad rush to the pulpit, right? But how do you know that the sandwich is good? Some of you would have tasted the same sandwich before. For those of you who haven't had those triple decker sandwiches that clogged out. The only way you would find out about it is as soon as church is out, you head Mackey Street and you say, Hey, Bella, give me one of them. <laughs> Scripture says, Psalm says, Psalms, Psalms 34, I think verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Experiencing that sandwich just for yourselves. Experiencing God Almighty for yourselves. Am I teaching that we should become legalistic in some way? Perhaps that every day at 5 o'clock in the morning, no sooner, no later, thou shalt get up and spend an hour in devotions with no food, no water. And when you pray, pray weeping. No, no, no. Now, if that works for you, then praise God. But you know what some of us do? <laughs> See if you can identify with this. The alarm clock rings. We somehow in the dark at night reach over and hit the snooze button. We get an extra 10, 15, 20 minutes, depending on how many times you hit that snooze button. You finally wake up. You get up, oh my goodness, we're late. You throw the children in the shower. You say, back over, I got a bathe too. Your husband or your wife gets in, all ten of you in the shower, you get up dripping wet, you're at the breakfast table because someone cooked breakfast. One child is saying, mommy, you got to sign this. Or else I'm going to get thrown out of school. The next one saying, Mommy, I have basketball practice after school. Yes, 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 yes. You finally get everybody in the car. There's a holy hush. Because no one dare says, Mommy, I forgot my lunch. <laughs> you get them to school. Thankfully, no accidents. You throw them out while the car is moving. See you later. Your pa's going to pick you up. You go through the work day, 9 o'clock, you give the man his time. You're dealing with people, you're dealing with stuff, all kind of stuff. The manager comes in who lives somewhere in Tijuana somewhere. He says, hey, could you sweep the lobby for me? And you're doing all these things. 5 o'clock rolls around and you call your husband. You say, hey, sweetie, how you doing? Where are the children? He says, I thought you had them. So you scramble, someone gets in the car, you pick the children up, and the three or four of them are sitting there like, um, you know, <laughs> Mommy, what happened? They get in the car and they talk your head off. And guess what happened? And guess what happened? And she said, <laughs> you make it home. And the youngest one is pulling at you, Mommy, I'm hungry. And you cook dinner. They inhale it. It's 7 o'clock, it's news time. You plop in front of the chair. And for the next hour you get buffeted with this one stabbed, this one and this one did this one, and this one got hauled before the courts. So you're feeling really good at this point. Boy, do your homework. It's now 10 o'clock. And you and your wife, you and your husband, finally crawl into bed for a couple hours of sleep just to do it all over again. We're saved. 
We love Jesus. But you know, our days are busy. The way I described life in general, it's no fault of ours. We're just busy. But how do you get to know Christ in the process? When do we make time for him? Let me ask you a question. If you had a toothache, I mean, we're talking top-notch toothache. Even though your teeth is hurting, it feels like oh, someone's trying to pull out all your toenails. You know what You call your dentist and you say, Doc, listen, I need something now. I'm going to kill somebody. And the dentist says, well, you know, I'm, I'm booked. But if you could come, if you could come right at this time, I might be able to fit you in. You come right at 10 o'clock. Now, you can't come later than 10 o'clock because I have 10.15. You got to come right at 10 o'clock. What would you do? Some of us can be there at 6 o'clock. Because why? We, we got a problem. Here's a good one. You're traveling, vacation. You've worked hard for it. The folks at the airport say, be the airport two hours. You got all the money in the world you could spend. You're ready for this vacation. What time did you get to the airport? They say, now get to the airport two hours before the flight. Now I know we got some procrastinators in here. So this illustration probably falls apart pretty quickly. But if it was me, sweetie, four hours. Just in case they try any rope-a-dope on us, you know. (laughs) Here's the point I'm trying to make. Make an appointment with God and keep it. At some point in your day, make time for Him. How's that? I know some people frown at setting New Year's resolution. But how about setting one where, God, I want to know you. I want to see your fingerprint everywhere along the way in 2010. God, I want to know you. Paul doesn't say, hey, pray for my release. Send the MP. Call the folks in Jerusalem. He says, no, I want to know him. I want to know him. And in knowing him, he says over in Colossians, he says, pray that when God gives me an opportunity, I can speak clearly the gospel. He could have prayed for everything else. No, pray that when I'm given an opportunity, I'm going to take full advantage of it. One last illustration and we quit. I know we got some leftovers we want to handle. Luke, Luke says, in chapter 6, he says, The good man brings forth the good things out of the good treasure stored up in his heart. He ends the verse by saying in verse 45, The idea is, out of the overflow of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. Picture if you would, your heart being a cup. The idea is, whatever I fill this cup, when it starts to overflow, I speak. What do you fill in your cup? I can knock the music in the movie industry, but you, you, you know what I'm talking. If I fill it with that stuff, What comes out? When I go through my next trial, which I will. When I go through my next next stumble. When I go through my next set of affliction, which it will come for us believers. What's going to come out? I was a little boy in Andrus. I can remember this clear as day. There was this old woman everywhere she walked, barefoot. My uncle was a principal and we went and visited him for the summer. And uh, we were playing in the schoolyard. And this woman, this is a normal routine. 
She was walking down the street. Now you got to understand, some of the potholes, no offense, brother, but some of the potholes in Andrus, you could actually crawl all the way to China. <laughs> she goes down in one of these potholes and she, she bucks her toe. The big toe kind of split open like that. There's blood all down in the hole on the rocks. You know, she says, well, pray, bless God. That's what she said. She said, well, bless God. <laughs> Do you know what was flowing in her heart? What do you do? What do I do when we encounter setbacks? I said earlier, we start rebuking Satan and pulling down strongholds and binding this and all that sort of thing. Instead of looking at it with a view that maybe this is something, this is a gift from God simply to bring honor and glory to Him. Now footnote, there are some forms of suffering that we cause upon ourselves. I ain't talking about that kind. Young people, if you didn't study in school, don't expect all of a sudden that God's going to mysteriously give you an A. Okay? Um, No, I'm not talking about that type of suffering. I'm talking about one where you're on this walk, this Christian walk, this godly walk, minding your own business, doing what you think, what you've been led to do by God Almighty, and the bottom falls out. A miscarriage. Someone passes you over for a promotion. Some hurt. Something that wasn't your fault. How will you bring glory to your name? To his name? Paul says, I want to know him. Here's his heart. He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I won't be put to shame in anything. But that with all boldness, Christ will be exalted in my body whether I live or whether I die. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die, I gain Christ. It's still Christ. Do you know Him? And how bad do you want to know Him? Here it is. God has written to us His love letter. Listen to Philippians chapter 3 in the Amplified Version. He says, for my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving, recognizing, and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and clearly, and that I may in the same way come to know the power out of outflowing from his resurrection, and that I may so share in his suffering as to be continually transformed, Paul says, into his spirit according to his death. What a prayer. Do you really, really want to know him? I want to know him. Oh, I want to know him. I remember as a little boy, my grandmother standing in church and she would just sing and sway to the songs, some of the old hymns of the faith, old rugged cross. How now cherish the old rugged cross. They can throw me out of church for singing. And I'd say, Mama, why are you crying? She had a big tears coming down her face. Mama, why are you crying? Little boy. And she'd lean over and say, oh son, one of these days you'll know. You'll know. What she was saying is, Patrick, one of these days you're going to get to know this God I serve. Do you know him? Do you know him? Three quick literal applications. Number one, renew your commitment to the Word of God. Make time for Him. Just like a young man meeting a young woman and they make all the time in the world for each other. You remember when you were dating? 
And some people are viciously shaking their head. Remember when you used to date? Some of us, it's been a long time. Every spare moment, what did you do? Your thoughts, your heart, your actions. You'd write on trees, write on people's wall, write in the sand. I love whoever. Renew your commitment to the Word of God. Set, set an appointment and keep it. Make time for Him. Just like you made time in the physical for every other thing. You know what? I, I, gave this, I give this challenge. I tell people five minutes. Now, Pastor Lee was here. You'd probably excommunicate me. But the point I'm trying to say is, for some of us, our days are so busy. Our time is so demanded. Five minutes. Just saying, God, this me. Show me you in your word. Now, I haven't met anybody yet who's taken that challenge and have been successful. The reason why is they realize quickly five minutes ain't cutting the mustard. But set five minutes. Wake up a little earlier. All right, sleep in late, but maybe lunchtime. You get one hour, take 55 minutes. Take 50 minutes. Don't take that long to get a hamburger down. After school, somewhere, at some point in your day, meet with him. Wherever, on the boat, in the backyard, under some, make time for him. Number two, stand firm in your convictions. If the word of God says it, then that's what it is. We, you, you ain't seen nothing yet. We are going to be inundated with junk, with heresies. And until we get to know this, I know of a brother. Oh, man. You know what's happening around the world? People are still meeting in closets, in attics, down in holes. They can't carry a full Bible, just a page. The story is told of a little girl who, she had a light a match next to her one page to see because they couldn't turn the lights on. Paper got too close to the flame, caught it to fire, and she just wept because she was going to get another copy of a page next for another month. And here it is. Here it is. We have this freedom to come and go as we please, to hold and handle God's word as we please. And we, we flippantly handle it. We're going to get home in a couple of minutes, and guess, what, guess what's going to happen with this? We throw it under something. How much do you want to know him? What are you prepared to do? Thirdly and finally, stay focused on Christ. Make knowing Christ your specialty. Make knowing Christ your specialty. And I'll close with this. Psalm 42. You know it in a song. We're not sure when this might have been written. Perhaps the writer uh, saw this familiar scene. Perhaps the writer of this psalm was somewhere where he could not get to God's word the way he wanted to. But listen to what it says. It says, as, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? What's your passion? To make more money? To do more ministry? To get better grades? To be a better husband, better wife. Buy a brand new car. 
start another business. Ladies and gentlemen, they all fade in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus. That's my prayer for you. This bowed prayer. Father, in my excitement, I know I've missed some things that I may have said or should have said or wanted to say. But Father, but Father, we ask now that you would be ever so gracious to us and forgive us, O Lord, for the times that we have taken your word for granted when we've not when we've chosen to not sit with you when we've chosen to do other things or to allow other distractions to cause us to not meet with you to get to know you father forgive us for the times when we have treated you like some sugar daddy in that When we need you, we come running to you begging and groveling and making all promises. And when you bless us, we forget about you. Not knowing that you're still standing there with arms open wide saying, come. Father, forgive us. And Father, in your forgiving us, we ask, dear God, now that you would give us more opportunities. We ask, dear God, that you would allow us to redeem the time that you have given us, not knowing the number of our days, not knowing the time of your guaranteed return. We pray, dear God, that as we get to know the God of this Bible, the God of Israel, the God of Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, the God of David, that as we get to know you, dear God, that you would make yourself known. Father, I'm reminded of your word where you said, if we seek you, you would let yourself be found. And so, dear God, allow us another opportunity to see you for who you truly are, as God most high. Bless your word. Bless this church. In Jesus' name.